Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. Hey, this is Josh. It is Monday, January 25th. We are still in lockdown. We have no news of when we'll get out of lockdown. <laughs> this sounds like last week. Yeah, just listen to last week's podcast and it's all the same. It's the same. <laughs> the one difference is to talk about boring weather stuff is that we actually look like Christmas time now. It's cold. It's very cold. Very cold. I've been going outside every day for walks, which like I would never do. That's not something I would have done, you know, like a couple of years ago. Yeah, walking like a chump. That's sad. You've been missing out on fun walks, I guess. I like doing it, though. It's just Andrew walking around with that Charlie Brown music playing, that sad Charlie Brown music. <laughs> yeah, we have to picture Bell's Corners. The Incredible Hulk when he's hitchhiking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's you. He's the Incredible Hulk of Bell's Corners. Yeah. Or that sad Littlest Hobo music whenever like something bad's happened on the Littlest Hobo. Yeah. Something always happened. Some kid gets kidnapped briefly or something, you know. It always gets resolved by the end, but still. That's Andrew. That reference is a blast from the past because it's older than all of us, but I still know it from Canadian reruns back before we had fancy cable TV. There's an episode with Mike Myers when he's like 12 years old. Oh my God. I don't think I knew that. Might be on YouTube, but yeah, he's like, he's 12 years old and it's about this kid in a wheelchair. Oh no. He plays Frisbee in the park. And Mike Myers is his friend, his, his Frisbee partner. <laughs> and the dog becomes friends with the wheelchair boy. But the dad is like, I don't want you around dogs. <laughs> the reason he's in a wheelchair is because he was driving in a car with his wife and child. And like a dog jumped in front of the car and <laughs> the wife died and the son was paralyzed. Oh, my God. She was heavy. Yeah. That really just sucked the life out of the podcast right there. <laughs> Canadian television. Man. Oh, I'm assuming like the end of the episode, he's like, oh, wait, the dog's actually good and not all dogs are bad. Yeah, he becomes pro-dog. <laughs> oh, my God. But then Mike Myers accidentally gets killed by the dog somehow. And <laughs> yeah. Ah, like, oh, crap. What a shame. It's a prime example of the days of why Littlest Hobo or Gilligan's Island or whatever show lasted six, seven, eight seasons. You're just like, wow, people were easily entertained back then didn't the beachcombers last like 50 seasons oh beachcombers was on forever I knew he was gonna say beachcombers maybe like 20 <laughs> seasons and it's a show about you know i don't know beachcombers yeah like i never really understood did they just live on a beach and they just like stuff happens to them like i don't even really remember well it's like bruno Gerussi was like the friendly fisherman and then the the other guy relic i've never really watched the beachcombers i just know i just know the I know the Beachcombers universe. Like I've seen little <laughs> the cinematic universe yeah. of Beachcombers. The BCU. And on top of that, Bruno Jerusi was doing his cooking show. Oh man. So that so like that that's like the skillet combers or something. Yeah, the busiest man in Canadian show business. Damn. And he's in a Chuck Norris movie. What? Which one? He's in The Hitman. Okay. I don't know what I was hoping for you to say. Like, I thought maybe you were going to say, blind, uh, no, not Blind Fury, which is Silent Rage. My bad. No, that's Rutger Howard. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was like... The Hitman is where Chuck Norris goes undercover as an uh, assassin for the mob. Of course. And Bruno Gerussi is one of, like, the mob soldiers. And Al Waxman is the is there we go the mafia don. Now I'm listening. Who would they be missing? Who's missing from that? Well, if, you could probably get a Donald Sutherland uh, appearance in there if you try hard enough. Yeah, Donald Sutherland, Lauren Green, Lauren Green. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Name them all. I want to say Al Waxman again, but I know we already got oh, it. Yeah, the King of Kensington. Was Beachcombers like our bonanza? I guess so. Yeah. I guess. Lauren Green was on Bonanza because I don't know what else it would be like. Lauren Green left Canada. He's from Ottawa. 
He left Canada to do Bonanza and Battlestar Galactica. Oh, crossover. Was was he in was it Unforgiven? Or he was in one of those like one of those big Hollywood westerns, I believe the word is. I don't think so. Nothing that late in I don't when did he die? He's been, he's been gone for a while. Yeah. It was whenever he was alive. That's when he was <laughs> when in he the movie I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh right. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. I mean, he could have been in other stuff that we just don't know, like more underground roles, I guess. But the days of Bonanza were crazy. They shot 45 episodes a year and they were all 55 minutes long. It's like they weren't messing around back then. Nowadays, you're like, oh, this show has six episodes a season. Back in the heyday of television, they made a lot of product. Like Gunsmoke as well. Just like insane. Like how many how many things that could possibly happen differently? Like it's always just, it's the same with Little's Hobo, I guess. You're like, well, it's either a polluter or like some sort of like drifter who, who's up to no good or whatever. Eventually, they just have to keep recycling the story, the stories. Yeah, you know, there's only so many times that Timmy's going to be caught at the old mill, I guess. I'm genuinely surprised that Littlest Hobo has not been rebooted yet. Yeah. Considering that MacGyver and Walker, Texas Ranger and everything else is rebooted, that there'd be some modern reinterpretation of the hero homeless dog story. God, when do they reboot Walker? Right now, as we speak. Uh, well, I found out Oh God, Jesus. that Walker, Texas Ranger, like originally the movie Lone Wolf McQuaid, that was the basis, I think, for Walker, Texas Ranger. And the makers, when they created Walker, Texas Ranger, like the director of Lone Wolf McQuaid was mixed up in like a lawsuit over that. Oh man. Like, hey, you're stealing from our movie. I hope we got a check at least. Well, he lost the lawsuit because Walker, Texas Ranger was like this huge hit. I just remember Walker as one of the first examples of movie star to TV when it was still not like definitely seen as a step down in a career. Well, that was the most successful thing I think Chuck Norris ever did. I don't know if any of his movies were massive hits the way Schwarzenegger alone had massive, massive hits. Not his starring roles anyways, like stuff he's been in maybe, but that's about it. Chuck Norris never had like a Terminator or a Rambo in terms of like box office success. Sadly. Then he did Walker and that was like, that was the biggest success he had, I think. Yeah, now that you say that, it's a little bit after his time, but I don't even think he might've been as big as Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme or that kind of those guys. And Steven Seagal's still going in his old age. Well, Steven Seagal at his peak, which is insane, was like a big movie star, was in major studio motion pictures that made money. Yeah. Which is bizarre because he has no charisma. He can't really act, but I I don't know what got him in. He can barely move. Yeah, Yeah, he stopped (laughs) kicking and punching and now he just shoots guys, I guess. Like, it doesn't require a lot of effort. And plus that he kind of existed on the heels of kind of that Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson action hero, like a bit more of an everyman action hero. And you see him and you're just like, he makes Schwarzenegger seem funny and charismatic. Yeah, and that's not even getting into his politics, which are not great. No. But it's funny to me, that speaking of Gibson, and it's, it's not likely that I'm going to say funny and Gibson these days, but they announced that they're doing uh, Lethal Weapon 5 with same director, like same stars. They are? Really? Yeah. So that's just, they're like, we promise it's the last one this time. Like, they literally are too old for this shit at this point. Like, I mean, it's not even a joke anymore. But I just found that hilarious. I was like, it's just like, how? How is this going to be good? Most people have still turned on Gibson, you know, for obvious reasons. But like, my God, what are they going to do? Like, there's not Danny Glover. That's true. I mean, I guess like, I mean, if I'm Danny Glover, I'm taking that paycheck too. But still, like, I don't know what they could possibly do. It's not like the fourth one was amazing. Isn't Richard Donner like... 
And they're old now. Like, wouldn't they be? I mean, wasn't Danny Glover going to retire in the first one? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Who was too. that? So in like 1987, he said, "I'm too old for this shit," and that was the first. Yeah. Like the line is going to be, "I'm really too old for this shit." Honestly, I'm so. My grandkids are too old for this shit. <laughs> it's ridiculous. In the first one, wasn't he like whatever? I can't remember. Like, wasn't he like three months away from retirement? And that was the whole thing of the movie is that he was partnered with his psycho, and he just wanted to sit at a desk yeah. for three months. But that part was true. The the partner with the yeah. psycho bit we didn't know at the time. But it's so Richard Donner or Rob Reiner. I was, Richard Donner. Richard Donner. Yeah. Who I think so, is. I mean, he's got to be old as well. I think he's like 90 something years old. Yeah, I believe, I think he is. I think it is 90. Yeah. Cause I, when I was reading the article, I, I was like, wow. I mean, that's awesome for him, but jeez, uh, man, like that's crazy. How old is Clint Eastwood? And he's still directing movies. Yeah. Well, that's true. Like he's got to be at least 90 as well. I would think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's going to have to be some kind of lethal weapon in the next generation, I bet. It'll be like Riggs and Murtaugh's kids are both cops and they're dragged into oh, it. But it's weird. Like the sequels that are coming out decades after, before it was such a rarity. But, you know, they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because they're making money. But, you know, there's another coming to America coming out soon and another Indiana mm -hmm. Jones coming out soon. And it's interesting that franchises are able to take this giant sleep between right now mm -hmm. what was the first one like it was like i remember tron was like 20 years later maybe and that got like big press that it was like oh it was so much later that this movie comes out because usually i mean especially in the 80s sequels were like sometimes a year later sometimes mm -hmm. two years later or more sometimes for like four years and you're like oh like we didn't have to wait for star wars that was a good feeling but yeah like this must be like because i think it's because i remember when the fourth one came out that was a big jump as well but in between like lethal weapon three and four it was like Maybe not 20 years, but like it was it was quite a bit of time. Yeah. And like that was a big deal because it was like Jet Li was the hot new thing. And you were like, oh, wow. Like now they've got a like cool fighting guy in the movie, too. Yeah, it was like a backdoor pilot to get Jet Li to be an American movie star. Which, you know, I mean, it's, it's, kind of worked. He, he was fun. I, I still like watching him, but, you know, it's it's it didn't quite go the way they thought, I think. And I think they're, they want to do another Die Hard as well. Oh, and God. Bruce Willis just seems to be completely disinterested. Like, is there anybody out there? There, I'm sure there is some like super, super diehard fan who's like, oh, I'd love another one. But to me, I'm just like, let's uh, let's move on. Just do a different cop movie. Go out on top after <laughs> yeah day to die hard. <laughs> yeah yeah go out with the best one. Whatever it was, is, is Live Free or Die Hard the last one? A good day to die hard? No, yeah, Live Free Die Hard. That's the last one. We're both like stupid titles that i don't remember and didn't watch so no offense to kevin smith <laughs> they were not good they were not good it was kevin smith that did one right or was that a i'm, I'm so confused. yeah he was in live free or die hard oh good because i remember cop out was also him and like the, I'm, I'm just like what's okay i know you need your paychecks here bud but like come on yeah. cop out is better than the last die hard movie. it has to be like just but just you know there's no way it could be worse cop out is a better die hard movie than good day to die yeah. hard it's, it's such a shame. I feel like every week we find a way to rip on Bruce Willis, but uh, <laughs> at the same time. Well, didn't he get kicked out of his convenience store for not wearing a mask? Oh, he did. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was like, oh, we should have definitely mentioned that. So it's good that this all came up again. So we're allowed to make fun of him. I forgot about that. Yeah. You're just like, oh, oh, cool. Like the super well-off guy who can't wear a mask for 10 minutes in a store. Yeah. It's hard on all of us, bud. <laughs> Ugh. What it, what it just like we need a reason to hate on him. Nonetheless, we hope to continue to play Die Hard every Christmas forever.
That's right. That's right. I, no, that that was okay back then. Yeah. I feel like the original Die Hard, Bruce Willis wouldn't have done the mask thing. Like he would have been okay with it. And it's just that the jaded jerk Willis is the one that won't do it. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, I think these are two very different Bruce Willis's. <laughs> <laughs> like I think they are. I think if young Bruce Willis, if it was like Looper, good Willis and bad Willis. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. young if young Bruce Willis met old Bruce Willis, he'd be like, oh no, it would be like a Christmas Carol kind of story. I got to turn my life around. Yeah, yeah. If the if young Bruce Willis from Third Rock from the Sun, he wouldn't have done it. But if it was, uh, you know, <laughs> I couldn't even remember the guy's name. You know, the guy with three names, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There it is. Ah, I'm having troubles. All right. Just it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas, you know, all the hot names from the past. I guess Chad Michael Murray, he was the last of the three named heartthrob actors. Yeah. And I, st- I do have a, a soft spot for him because he was in House of Wax and also uh, Agent Carter. So, you know, he at least was trying something different. Yeah. All those kids had three names just because there was a bunch of like... And they were all first names, mostly. That's what made it so confusing. Stephen Thomas James or something. Oh, man. That's kind of the fun thing. It was like, who were the best and the worst of the three first names named guys? (laughs) But I think that was all just because there was, you know, say whenever Jonathan Taylor Thomas came around... There was some Jonathan Thomas from the 30s who was still alive and still a member of the Actors Guild. Oh, man. So they had to get a different name. So all these kids, you can clock it. All these kids of a certain generation had to get three names or an initial or change their name because way back when there was somebody else and they're still alive in some like retirement home for Hollywood actors. So they couldn't keep that name. Damn. Just like Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player, there's a younger one with the same name. And even in sports, you can't have the same name. Well, no, I mean, there's two Isaiah Thomases. Like the other one didn't go by like Isaiah John Thomas or something like, so I don't know if he asked him first, if it was like, Hey, are you cool? If Or the real Isaiah Thomas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you cool if I have my own (laughs) name? Is that, is that all right? I do know that even, if I'm getting this correct, Julianne Moore, her real name is, I think, Julie Moore. And there already was one of those somewhere in the acting guild. So she just took her mom's maiden name or something like that. So Anne is somebody's last name and Moore is somebody's last name, but that's not the name on her driver's license. So even kind of current actors i know michael keaton yeah his real name is michael douglas yeah, that's what i knew there was one that was like there was already one of those famous albert brooks's real name is albert einstein what oh yeah that's right too yeah. oh yeah oh god you remembered all the great stuff and his brother was the late bob einstein from super dave super dave yeah curb your enthusiasm so good on uh, arrested development too he's so good in that Oh, he was on Arrested Development? Yeah, he played Jeffrey Tambor was like on house arrest. And so Super Dave played his surrogate. So he would have like an earpiece in and he would just speak whatever Jeffrey Tambor was trying to say to his family. And so he's just basically, it's just Super Dave's straight face, basically just being like, you're a complete moron. I have something to say. And it's like just talking through the guy, basically. It's a great bit. It's so funny to think that in the 80s, at the exact same time, these two brothers Albert Brooks was kind of this highbrow New Yorker kind of dramatic comedy. And then Super Dave was this like almost jackass style punk slapstick humor, like complete highbrow, lowbrow. And they're brothers. I didn't always know that they were brothers. Yeah, no one ever really knew. I had no idea until probably about like 10 years ago at the earliest. Well, you know that Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid are brothers, but they look nothing alike. Yeah, and one went crazy. Yeah, or always was. It's hard to say with stuff like that. Now, every time I watch Christmas Vacation, you can't help but think about this poor guy. 
and his nervous breakdown. Just watch Christmas Vacation 2. That one's better. Oh my god, I'm sad to say I've seen it. <laughs> I don't Why did you watch that? I don't know. I don't know. You know, oh, it's gonna be worse than Jingle All the Way too. Oh, I haven't watched that. Oh, is that with Stone Cold Steve Austin? It's a wrestler. I can't remember. It's, 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 I, I get confused with because one of them has Larry the Cable Guy, but that that one might be a different thing. I still got to see Kindergarten Cop Two with Dolph Lundgren and Cop and a Half Two with Lou Diamond Phillips. These are all gold star choices gold star recommendations from the podcast and backdraft 2 starring donald sutherland and the other guy from backdraft who wasn't the hell i didn't even they got donald sutherland to agree to be in backdraft 2 yeah i guess that's not that hard at this point probably kurt russell was busy (laughs) robert de niro was busy jennifer jason lee was busy (laughs) yeah i bet you anything it was no exaggeration. I bet you it was like one day of shooting. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. an eight-hour no retakes. And he's like, okay, I'm coming in. I'm coming out. That's all I'm doing. Krusty the Clown style. It's the only way. I, I just saw him in something. Actually, like not Krusty the Clown, but <laughs> Donald Sutherland. And I was like, just impressed. Because there's another guy where you're like, how old are you? Like, I feel like he was old in like the 80s. Well, to me, he was like I was a kid, but still. Yeah, like when you're a kid and you think like kind of 40 or 50 is 90 or 100 and then you get <laughs> yeah. to be 30 or 40 or 50 and you're like, oh, yeah, that's not that old. yet. Yeah, that's the scary part. I'm like, oh, God, as I'm getting closer to 40, I'm like, wait, no, if I'm, I'm not old, but those people were. He's 85. So he's not Richard Donner old. Okay. No. Not yet. Well, we had him on screen recently in the between times between apocalypses. We screened Burnt Orange Heresy. Oh, right. And he was really good. I really like that movie a lot. And he was really good in it as well. In between his backdraft twos, he's still putting out quality product. His backdraft twos. <laughs> he's bringing it. See, I feel like I need to see it now, like after we've built this up. I, I did watch uh, Wise Guys last night, the De Palma flick. Oh, yeah. I think I've seen parts it, of that. It had it, it mostly it sold it because of Danny DeVito. Um, which is another guy who's just been old forever. But I was like, okay, first of all, the fact that it was De Palma felt really weird to me. Because I was like, it's 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 like a, almost a screwball mafia comedy, basically. And it's just not what I would associate him with at all. But, you know, it had some good gags. I mean, even it wasn't the best, but like Danny DeVito really carries a movie a pretty long way for you. Danny DeVito looks the exact same now as he did in whatever, 1978. Jewel of the Nile. Oh, oh God, I forgot he was in that. Well, when he was doing Taxi. Look at Taxi and look at... One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, or look at Always Sunny compared to Taxi, and you're like, he's the same guy. He looks the same. Yeah, it's pretty, like, frightening, actually. And, you know, he's not... No one's going to accuse him of being, like, the best-looking guy, but he's looked like the same guy, so that's pretty good. He's got a good track record. He's always done nice diverse stuff yeah drama and comedy and he'll show up in batman returns and then direct some stuff and death to smoochie yeah and like produce pulp fiction that is i can't say that that's a good movie but it's a fascinating movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that sneak that in there that that one I, well some people love it because i remember at the time it was panned and i hated it as well but just which is funny because i loved all the actors in it i love well i wouldn't get made today certainly like there's oh god no and rewatching it because i know some people swear by like it. the nazi party is in it or some yeah i think it's it's pretty over the top like it's just trying to be shocking i guess but i, I rewatched it and i was like nope this still sucks like I just, it's it's not for me i know it's, it's some people it's a it's a cult classic i can respect that but it's fun to like look at a movie that just got completely panned and then you know maybe revisit it a decade later mm-hmm. 
See, oh, maybe it's good now. A lot of times I find they're not as bad as everyone said they were in the day. Even if they're not superb, sometimes you go back and watch that kind of movie and you're like, well, that wasn't the worst thing ever. I don't know what people are talking about. Like it's over reverse overrated. Like it was overrated and how bad people said it was. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty forgiving about a lot of stuff. But uh, yeah, there's certain ones where I, I could definitely see why I didn't like it at the time. Like whatever whatever movie it happens to be. I feel that way about Deep Rising. I think Deep Rising is a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I, I concur. It's one of the best Treat Williams movies. I had a VHS. I think we've talked about this before. Like, I had a VHS of it. I loved it. I got the Blu-ray fairly recently. And I'm like, okay, let's see if this holds up. And it kind of does. <laughs> like, it's... You can't defend it on a on an intellectual level. But, like, as a, I don't know, B- minus film it's well paced it's entertaining where did that director go because off of the strength i think of he did the di joe movie deep rising got him the mummy and he did the oh yes he did a, steven summers yes yeah, steven summers and then he did gi joe but that's a while away like i can't think of seeing his name on a movie in the last little while and think gi joe despite not being good i think did well enough to at least get a sequel and the mummy movies the first two mummy movies i think did very well yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I happened. No, he, he did the first two, but I don't. Did he do the third one? I don't think so. For some reason, I don't know why I know this, but I think the Fast and the Furious director directed the third one. Rob Cohen. Rob Cohen, I think his name is. Oh, that's the guy who did that dragon movie with Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale. Yes. 2003's Reign of Fire. God, why do I remember this stuff? Oh, yeah. And he did uh, Bruce Lee's story, I think. Yeah, so I think he did the third one. Oh, nice. Oh, hey, and uh, I had to check, and it, it, what lopsided Summers was Van Helsing in 2004. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Maybe that's... <laughs> Which I liked. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to say it. I, it's not good, but I enjoyed it. It's just silly, I don't know, fun, I guess. God, yeah, I wonder where he is. I wonder if they're like, no, Van Helsing didn't do well, and G.I. Joe wasn't good, you're in director jail. It happens. Like, we were just talking about, Gwen and I were for some reason talking about Joe Dante, I think because of Gremlins or something like that, and I said how... It's tough out there. Like you can have half a dozen hits in a row and then they're like, oh, small soldiers underperformed and your Looney Tunes movie didn't do well. You're done. And Joe Dante, who had these like big hits under his belt, all of a sudden is like, oh, you know, you're doing indie movies and television. Yeah. And I think that was from Small Soldiers, yeah. I think was that was the first one that was like big budget, didn't really recoup or well, it probably did eventually. But I remember it, it, it kind of underperformed. That was his last big movie. Yeah, I remember, like, that was a big deal. Like, Tommy Lee Jones was coming off the Oscar win, I think, or a couple of years after, and, like... I haven't was... seen Small Soldiers, but, like... Neither have I, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> Matinee's pretty great, though. Yeah, that's a great movie. Oh, I love Matinee. Holds up really well. And what was I gonna say? Oh, speaking of 90s movies, I rewatched Empire Records. Oh, nice. A friend of mine, that's her favorite movie. Which I really like, and I went on Letterboxd, the movie review site where you can write your own movie reviews. And a lot of people really hate on that. They're like, oh, this is this is Hollywood's version of a 90s Gen X indie comedy. You know, this this is so forced and phony. And I don't know, like it's I guess it's cornball to a degree, but I like it. Yeah, it's a period piece now because it's very, very 90. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those movies like if you're the right age and whether that be for watching American Graffiti or John Hughes movies, it's. One of those movies that if you're five years too young or old, you might not love it. But if you're right in that yeah. wheelhouse, you have to be on that in the cusp of a child of the 90s. Yeah, you have to have been around in the 90s. Hey, that's perfect. That's me. 
I'm the exact right age to think that Ewoks are cool, Goonies could happen, and I love the Monster Squad. But if I was like five years younger or older, like a friend of mine who's about 10 years younger than I am, he saw Goonies as an adult. He never saw it when he was a kid. And he basically said like- It doesn't work that way. Yeah, he said, I can totally see why you like it and won't take that away from you, but I saw it too old. So all I see is all like kind of the plot holes and that it's a silly kids movie. And I'm the same way with like a much bigger franchise, but I've seen all the Harry Potter movies and none of them are bad. Like I didn't dislike any of them, but I'm like, if I would have seen these when I was eight, I'm sure I would have a very different- reaction to them well that happened to me with goonies actually i saw it for the first time a couple of years ago and i was like okay it's fun and actually to be honest with you gremlins as well like i saw gremlins 2 as a kid but i never saw the original that i i mean i may have i just don't remember it and so i watched it and i maybe that's the thing too because like when i watched i watched it for like a christmas marathon thingy a couple of years ago i was like gremlins kind of sucks no offense like i know and i'm I don't, I don't really think it sucks in that sort of way you know but it's just having seen it as a 30 something man, I'm just like, this is not for me at all, which is fine. I have this weird nostalgia for Gremlins just in the fact that it's kind of this, not quite the end of an era, because it, it, you know, it wasn't right before movies like T2 or Jurassic Park, but it's so old school, like it's puppets and stop motion and really fake Hollywood snow. And you can tell that they're in Hollywood with like coats on, like nobody has breath showing or anything like that. So it really has this feel of a Hollywood production before things started shooting everywhere and there was CG and all these other kind of things that make stuff more modern. Like nowadays, if they shot Gremlins, they would probably actually go to a smaller type town to film in to get that feel. Mm, but like Perth or something. Alma. <laughs> yeah, Alma. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true, though. It's, and it's weird. Like, it's so weird to see something and realize as you're watching it that you're like, OK, I can put myself in the headspace of a kid and realize that this would be amazing. But you're just sitting there letting it flow over. You're like, well, that's, you know, I've missed the boat on this. That's why I think it's funny when grownups, whether that be like a critic or just I've seen people do it of kind of like disagreeing with kids or telling kids they're wrong when the kid says whatever, whether it be I like Kung Fu Panda or Minions or Frozen or whatever. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to say that because you're a grown up with your looking at film and studying film and dissecting film. A kid's allowed to just like something and be a kid. And I saw some of the Despicable Me movies, maybe all the Despicable Me movies, just because we had them at the Mayfair over the years on March breaks and stuff like that. And they're all fine. But I saw kids there love it. And you don't want to overthink it, but you're like, well, that's great. Maybe that'll get the kid interested in film or animation or anything. So it's like, it's so silly to kind of tell a kid they're wrong because it would be like telling an 80s kid they're wrong for watching He-Man or My Little Pony or something. You're like, no, it's fine. I remember going to see The Lone Ranger. Remember that movie? I do, okay. yeah. The Johnny Depp one. And there was a, a little girl sitting not too far from me, and she was loving yeah, it. Yeah. So that, you know. I see. And that's a pretty long movie, too. I'm, I'm impressed that the... Yeah, it's like three hours long. <laughs> yeah, like that's wild. Yeah, and it's always going to be there, that sense of a kid will latch onto something and... It's almost like Stan Lee had this saying of every comic book is somebody's favorite comic book and every comic book is somebody's first comic book that opens them to the world of comics. And it's kind of like that with movies where often the first movie too, like often the first movie a kid sees at the cinema 
becomes their favorite. They might luck out and that might be, you know, something that becomes a classic, whether that be something in the past few years, like Frozen or a Toy Story film or something. But every once in a while, it's going to be Minions or a Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Or the Grinch. Oh, God, yeah. The Jim Carrey Grinch. Or, yeah. you know, what's a good example. Polar Express. Yeah. There's some yeah. kids out there who <laughs> like Polar Express and I'm not going to talk them out of it. I am just wouldn't want to watch it with them over and over again because it scares me. Yeah. You'll sell them a ticket, but you're not going to recommend the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that this year we didn't have our screening of Polar Express because traditionally that's a rental that one of our frequent renting clients rents the place, has a big event. It's kind of a publicity for their business. So this year we didn't have that because it was COVID times. You could only have 50 people in the cinema. You couldn't have a packed house. And of all the things, somebody did a private rental for their family of, you know, 20 people or whatever and watched Polar Express. So I still had to be in-house while Polar Express was screening. Of course, you got you guys scheduled for that one. Couldn't escape it. Well, at least you know all the parts now, like that Cirque du Soleil thing you did. So <laughs> you yeah, just I, acted I could, out. I could one-man show Polar Express. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I still haven't watched it, and I do not intend to. So I'm sorry. You gotta. You got, I'm going to make you do it for one of your bad movie nights or something. It's got to be so... I just find that stuff hard to like watch, like literally hard to look at. Unsettling. Oh, for sure. You're not going to watch Beowulf. <laughs> I, I never... You know what? I've seen like the trailer, and that's as far as I could do. Like, it's just like weird looking. Like it doesn't, it doesn't like, yeah. it just looks like a shitty video game or something, you know, from the 2000s. Oh, exactly. Yeah. They have that PlayStation feel. Uh, I found that with, it's funny, we talked about it recently, but with Justice League, the villain at the end, oh, yeah. I just thought looked like a PlayStation video game character. He looked so out of place. But Robert Zemeckis, I don't think he directed it. He produced another one. It was something about Mars. It was a kid's movie. It was called like Mars Needs... Mars Needs Moms, that one? Yes. And the only reason I want to watch it is because I'm a fan of Andy Richter. And I've listened to a bunch of his podcasts. And occasionally he'll mention that as just... It was an interesting gig that he had where I believe they did it in New Zealand or something. So he got to go to New Zealand for six weeks and... It was a nice place in this weird movie and it was motion capture. So part of me wants to watch it just to see that. But I know it's another one of those movies that are just super clunky animation and kind of the creepy uncanny valley faces and all that stuff. You don't need that in your life. No. Maybe. We've gotten better, though, because it's just like we're a stone's throw from perfecting the CG recreation of a person for whatever reason. Yes, for whatever reason. Whether that be the actor is dead or, or something like that, or, or like a Robert De Niro kind of thing for the Irishman. Like, it's not perfect yet, but man, it's close. And if you look at how far it's come in one, two, three, four years, it's nuts to think where we're going to be five years from now. Oh, yeah. The deep faking technology, especially like we could put Andrew dancing with the uh, vacuum cleaner now if we want to. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'd do that anyway. Who knows? <laughs> it's like, I'll just take the paycheck. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, and I wanted to mention too, I think on the last episode, I said how the Bytown Cinema on Twitter was posting a bunch of their old schedules because sadly they're emptying out their offices and getting ready to maybe not come back. They were supposed to maybe come back for a week post this current Ontario lockdown, but who knows how long this lockdown's going to last. So they their whole farewell got stepped on. It's it's extra sad. But, but I said Mayfair doesn't have any of these flyers, any of these schedules. And like a magic elf made a delivery for us. I went into the Mayfair the next day and was looking through a filing cabinet 
and found a giant stack of Mayfair schedules. And I'd never seen these before. I don't know where they came from. Yeah. I don't know if somebody dropped them off and didn't tell me about it. Maybe some patron dropped a bunch off, but I haven't looked through them in depth yet, but I intend to. I don't own a scanner, but once I get a hold of a scanner or somebody must have one. Kind of my job at my other job, but oh, can, I can't help you. Can you borrow me a scanner? Can you bring it to my house? No, no, I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can scan you some you stuff. Borrow. I don't know if I can steal you property, but well, we'll see. We'll see. I have them from, I think, 88 to 99. No, maybe 87 to 99. And it's amazing just to flip through them and, and to find like my high school years and before I ever went to the Mayfair and all this kind of stuff. So like I said, I haven't looked in depth yet, but the most bizarre thing is just like, Rocky Horror on a Wednesday at seven as part of a double bill and Austin Powers is the second movie. And I have I have so many questions about that. I'm like, was it just really Well that's way before the shadow cast? Yes. But like were they throwing things? Were they throwing toast and cards and confetti? Because like there was no time in between the shows for cleanup. It was like Rocky Horror at seven and Austin Powers at nine. And to have it as the first movie instead of the second movie, and to have it on a an average like August weeknight instead of a Saturday. It's it's very strange to look at all this programming and just kind of ponder it and figure out why it happened versus kind of something slightly more logical. And the other weird thing is the older ones in the 80s, there was some period of time where they were only on five days a week. I think they were closed on Monday, Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. So that's interesting too. It's just so much. to. It's funny too, because I'm pretty sure, well, it might have been PG-13, I guess, but it's like Rocky Horror is restricted. Austin Powers is not. Like, So that's even weirder. Well, Canada, no, I know this because we pivoted away from a complaint. Rocky is 14 in Canada. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Because a parent got mad at us for letting in some 15 or 16-year-olds, and we were like, oh, we're sorry, but uh, it's 14, which means a 14-year-old can go by themselves. So nice. You joshed them real good. It's Rocky Horror. It's not... Last house yeah. on the left. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's just it just I guess it just feels restricted. I don't know. But yeah, there was that and I knew this happened, but especially right before our time, so say like, you know, the mid two thousands, double bills started being more difficult and distributors started being jerks at each other. So once upon a time, for example, you could say, uh, I'm just making this up, but show X Men and Spider Man double bill, even though that's Sony and Fox. But then in the 2000s, they really started to be like, no, we're, we can only do stuff with our own distributor. And they would fight, right? Because they would, and it sounds so immature, but they would be like, Spider-Man's more popular than X-Men, so we should get a 70% cut of the double bill ticket. So it just became a headache to do double bills. But some of the double bills were just, just because it was the same studio. So you would get a heavy romantic drama with a goofy comedy just because they were both MGM, or you would get a dark thriller with a family drama just because they're both Warner Brothers. So that became an issue too. That was a big kind of nail in the coffin for double bills, along with people seemingly getting disinterested in them. And you'd have 150 people for the first show and 10 for the second. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. Nobody wanted to stay for Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah. <laughs> Except me. I stayed. You would stay. Yeah, sure. no, I, w I was definitely there. That was actually, that's funny. That was one of the first that I brought my like then girlfriend to was a TCM double bill. No, wait, maybe that was the Psycho double bill, actually. I don't know if she would have done the Texas Chainsaw one. So I think my ex, I took to the Texas Chainsaw double bill. And then my actual wife, I took to Psycho double bill. So I guess, I, I don't know if I had standards that <laughs> altered there or something. Psycho 2 is good. Think of the alternate universe where you would have messed that up and 
Instead, you would have shied away your wife by bringing her to Texas Chainsaw. That would have that would have been like, oh, I don't want to go out with another date with that guy. She wouldn't have been feeling that. I definitely like her twin sister came for the first psycho, but didn't stay for the Dennis Franz psycho. So, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I have the controversial stance of I'm pretty sure I like all four psycho movies. Yeah, hey, I have the controversial stance that I prefer the second one to the first one. Whoa. So, yeah, I'm not saying the first one's not a classic or that I don't like it. I just, I really, really like the second one. Like, it's such a good underrated flick. I don't think, yeah, I don't think any of them are bad. Nah. Was Psycho 2, who directed Psycho 2? Tom Holland? It, no, it was, he, Tom Holland wrote it, but it was the assistant director to the first Psycho. Oh, that's kind of cool. The director of photography or something like that from the first one. Yeah, so he was like buds with Hitchcock. And then I know Psycho 3 was Anthony Perkins mm-hmm. and Psycho 4 was Mick Garris. Yeah. And because I, I really like Mick Garris's podcast and he's talked about that where Anthony Perkins didn't like him because he got that gig because Critters 2 did well enough to get people's attention. And so he was very horror movie snobbish about it of like, this is a franchise that Alfred Hitchcock directed and now we've got the director of Critters 2 directing this movie. I mean... You know, it's not like, you know, I mean, Perkins was in a lot of crap. Like, let's just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I get it. Like, was he hoping he would direct it? I think that was exactly it. I, okay. I think that the studio didn't like Anthony Perkins as a director. And so they got Mick Garris. And Mick Garris says, like, he won over Anthony Perkins by just basically telling him his pitch for the film and his vision for the film and letting Anthony Perkins have a voice in the creative side of it. So it worked out in the end. Like, they, it ended up not being the worst thing in the world for Mick Garris, but he said it was a stressful first week on the job because you had a person who both thought you were a hack and wanted your job and starring in the film. So you can imagine that's like stress on top of stress for a very young Mick Garris. Yeah. In his like Yeah, and that one was like wasn't that a made for TV movie as well? It was, yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, ironic considering what we talked about last week. Oh yeah. Ongoing subject way back then. I think it was intended to be a theatrical at first and sometime in pre-production HBO or somebody was like, "We'll do it." And they just put it there and and it was of the time where where it was just starting like that where kind of slightly more respected movies were becoming TV movies. Mm-hmm. Still ages away from where it is now, but yeah, it's it's always that weird classification of like, oh, Psycho 4 doesn't count as a movie because it was on TV, but it was still shot on film and real actors and real crew. So I don't know. It's kind of, it's a movie. It's kind of wild that Perkins' son ended up being like an even better director than his dad was. (laughs) Yeah, I only found that out. I wasn't paying attention. And then I read something about how he's now in the trenches and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's... Uh, you know, uh, the style is very, like, he's a very good director, and I find sometimes the writing isn't as good as his directing. Like, not that uh, he doesn't write everything that he films, but it's one of those things where, like, he did the Gretel and Hansel, I think it was. Visually, it was great. I actually really enjoyed it, but it's, you know, there's a few parts here and there where you're just sort of like, hmm, could be tightened up. So I think, where, and then you have something like Possessor that I thought that just knocked my socks off. It's kind of funny, like, you can have the name and the skills and the visuals, but if you don't, if the screenplay doesn't stick the landing, you're dead in the water a little bit. Like, Yeah, there's all kinds of second generation filmmakers out there now. It's cool to see. Well, even like David Bowie's son, another great director. I mean, I'm, I'm not the biggest Warcraft fan, but his other stuff. Yeah. I got to see Warcraft just in principle because it has an interesting point in history now where it was a giant flop in North America, but did really well everywhere else and is the first 
English language movie to be getting a sequel that is essentially being made for non-English speaking countries. Oh man, I didn't realize they were going ahead with the sequel. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Like in North America, it made $30 million and everywhere else made $350 million. So it's getting a sequel based off of its box office everywhere but here. So they said it might be one of those things where it's going to be released theatrically. Who knows now? This was all plans Mm -hmm. before COVID land, but it'll be released theatrically elsewhere and just, you know, come out on Netflix here. That makes sense. I got to give a shout out to, uh, I recently watched a movie twice in two days. That's how good it, well, partly because I liked it and then I thought my wife would like it and she did. But uh, it's called Promising Young Woman. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, with Gary Mulligan. I got to see that. Oh my God. It's so good. And, and it just really good. I don't know. The acting's good. Like the writing's good. And it's just, it's just one of those ones that I, I don't know if I, uh, I'm just on a good run lately, but Possessor and Promising Young Woman, Synchronic, Hunter Hunter is another one I watched recently. Uh, excellent. Just, you know, there's some really, really great stuff that's sort of just being kind of like not dumped, but I think they were kind of waiting out COVID and they're like, oh, we're not going to win. So here's this highly, highly recommend that one. I'll quickly say, then we'll start wrapping up for the week. I watched Greed with Steve Coogan, which was a movie that we were going to get. We had the poster up and everything, and then COVID got in the way. But I liked it a lot. And it's kind of one of those movies that you can't really say too much about, but it's a very interesting dark comedy. And I like Steve Coogan. So if you like Steve Coogan, if you liked his trip movies, it's it's another one that kind of missed out on a big theatrical run thanks to the the 2020 disaster, but now it's out there. And yeah, I like that one a lot. Did he do the Michael Caine voice? No, he should have. <laughs> he, he should do that in all of his movies. Yeah, it should be contractual. <laughs> He'd be like, you got to do it. So good. And he's like, she was only 60. He's like, oh, but I'm, but I'm playing a, a 1930s politician. Nope, do the Michael Caine voice. <laughs> You can always work it in, I feel like. Yeah. They're like, wait, who's Michael Caine? You're like, oh, no, it's a good It's bit. a Laurel and Hardy movie. Do the Michael Caine oh, voice. Yeah. See, I'll watch any of these things if they have the Caine voice. Cool. Okay, so let's wrap this up for the week. Thanks for listening, everybody. As we've said before, kind of stay tuned to our social media because we're just following the news like everybody else. We have no idea what the next week or month or two months hold. All we can do is think happy thoughts and hope that we'll be back in the Mayfair and with stuff on the big screen sooner or later. We do have two new movies coming up to our Mayfair virtual cinema. They're so hot off the presses, I haven't looked at it at all. An email came in as we were chatting. One is called My Little Sister that will be on January 29th. And then one called Some Kind of Heaven, which will be available later in February if we're not back to showing big screen movies by then. So a couple more options for your Mayfair virtual cinema at home watching if you want to throw us a couple bucks and watch a movie at home and support the Mayfair. And why wouldn't you want to do that? And uh, yeah, and so uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening to these uh, at-home Zoom editions. I think the quality's been half decent and we've had people saying nice things and a few people have sent in some nice reviews on the uh, podcast apps, which is always appreciated to just be reminded that there's human beings out there. Hopefully the content is half decent as well, uh, (laughs) but who's to say? (laughs) All I care about is the mic quality. (laughs) Okay, so uh, thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll see you soon at the Mayfair, we hope, and we'll see you next week with another edition of the Mayfair Theatre Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, now I can finally go downstairs and watch Deep Rising for the first time. Deep Rising. Yeah. Yeah, never seen it. At a depth of 4,000 feet, they roam harmlessly, minuscule, and unseen by human eyes. At 20,000 feet, 
they've been known to eat full-grown sharks. But what if those at 40,000 feet were to rise from the deep? I got a really bad feeling about this. Deep Rising.